0: Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 and KSTE.com. Here is Fred
1: Hoffman. Happy Sunday morning to you. Welcome to Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Farmer Fred here, Fred Hoffman. University of California Cooperative Extension Master Gardener. <coughs> Excuse me, I'm getting choked up thinking all about it. Garden columnist with the Lodi News Sentinel, the guy that does all the typing at FarmerFred.com, all the ranting at the Farmer Fred rant blog page at Twitter.com slash Farmer Fred Daily Garden Tips. Lots of snark and retweets. The Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page, where there's always a garden dialogue going on, including a picture of the smiling face of today's guest, Quentin Young, from Fair Oaks Boulevard Nursery. The manager out there, he's also a Sacramento County Master Gardener, and he's here, and we're talking about cool season edible and ornamental plants, because damn it, it's fall! I, I know it doesn't officially begin until Friday or Saturday, but it's meteorological fall. The weather has changed. Temperatures for this coming week in the upper 70s or low 80s for highs, overnight lows in the mid 50s to maybe just 60 degrees. That's a very nice, pleasant change. Perfect weather for planting. Perfect weather for lawn renovation. Perfect weather for new trees and shrubs to help them get established. Perfect weather for starting seeds of cool season annuals too Uh, some not all but some and of course there are transplants available quentin young good to see you again thanks for coming on out thanks for having me let's uh, talk a little bit about i mentioned cool season annuals what is available now at nurseries that could go in the ground this is kind of a interesting time in a lot of nurseries where you're you're going to see marigolds and calendulas side by side yes you're going to see warm season annuals and cool season annuals because it's a matter of the, the nature of where we live Warm season annuals are going to do well here until about the second frost. Yes, yeah. But for preparation for the winter and next spring, this is cool season annuals. Yeah,
2: time. now now's the time to get your cool season annuals in. So you're looking at things like pansies, violas, uh, pallidosum daisies, cyclamen, snapdragons, uh, calendula, like you mentioned, uh, ornamental cabbages, ornamental kales, mm-hmm. uh, things like that.
1: And uh, things like uh, iceberg...
2: Uh, iceberg poppies. Iceberg yeah, poppies, Exactly, yeah. yeah. Uh, Iceland poppies. Iceland so. poppies, yeah. yeah. Iceberg, at, yeah. I was
1: looking at some <laughs> lettuce here, and for some reason I glommed on the idea of iceberg. By the way, I, I don't think you could find a worse lettuce variety to plant in your garden right now than iceberg. Yes. Just because it's flavorless, it doesn't have much in the way of nutrition, but heck, it, it sure ships well if you grow it commercially... Because sure. it's a nice tight head, loosely varieties do so much better here and are so much more tasty. They come, as you mentioned, in in a wide variety of shapes and colors. Yeah, and they, I think they
2: look really good, actually, mixed with um, annual flowers. And a lot of them, like the pansies and the calendula, are edible um, too.
1: Yeah, that's right. That's a good point. That's give us some tips on mixing annual flowers, and cool season vegetables?
2: I think it depends on where you're going to be growing them, but a lot of these would do well in uh, containers. If you don't have a lot of space, you don't need a big bed for them. Lettuces require, I think, very little root space because um, you're primarily harvesting the tops. But you could just mix them in together, um, plant them about six to eight inches apart. Look look in terms of color. You know, you've got green. Um, this one that I brought, it's got this really cool speckled leaf. Um, you've got a dark red, you've got romaines, you've got the red oak leaf lettuces and you can mix and match with different color flowers.
1: As a matter of fact, this variety you brought is called speckled bib lettuce. Yeah,
2: it's really pretty. And the colors become more uh, pronounced the colder it gets.
1: Bib does bib refer, what does bib refer to in, in the world of lettuces? That's a good question. Yeah. Cause it's, it's not a head lettuce. No, it, it's it, a, it's a loose leaf. Lettuce. It's a loose leaf lettuce. I think it has to do with the shape of the leaf. But I'm not sure. But but bib lettuce you can plant that that is as you said considered a loose leaf lettuce. Other good lettuce varieties to plant: black seeded Simpson, oak leaf, uh, good varieties that do well in our area that will do well until it gets way too hot. And you can be planting lettuce uh, now through mm, probably next uh, February, March, maybe even into April. Yeah. And uh, don't
2: forget your spinaches, yeah. your kales, chard, chard. You yeah. me-
1: you mentioned ornamental kale. Is there a taste difference between standard green kale and the very colorful ornamental kale?
2: I think they have a bit of uh, more of a bitter taste. The, the ornamentals? Yes. Yeah. And technically, you could eat them, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't buy ornamental kale for eating because you don't know what they've been treated with.
1: There you go. Yeah, I'm going to taste your uh, speckled bib Hmm. Tastes like lettuce. There you go. Yeah, it's all you want in life.
2: Yeah. Uh, They just have, I think, a much better flavor.
1: Yeah. Did we ever figure out what bib is?
3: No, I'm not finding anything here.
1: Yeah. I think it it refers to the leaf shape because you got your oak leaf lettuce, which sort of looks like an oak leaf, and bib lettuce. It's not a head lettuce. And I think it's a good idea to avoid head lettuces. Just because they tend to bolt sooner in our area when the weather gets warmer.
2: The only thing I've had a lot of luck with that forms ahead are radicchio.
1: Ah, okay. Yeah, let's talk about some of those weird-ass greens that are out there that may not be for everybody's uh, taste buds. But you got the radicchio, the arugula, uh, mosh, the corn salad. Corn salad, yeah. Yeah. Arugula. Arugula, yeah. yeah. All of those. Some of those are kind of peppery.
2: Some of them are peppery, some of them are hot. Um, a lot of it depends on what sort of flavor profile you like, whether you like something bitter, um, like the endive, the radicchio, the frisee. Um, all of those have different different tastes, different textures. Um, they can be prepared differently. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: yeah. Yeah. All right, So, and if you if your family has wide taste buds, plant a little bit of each.
2: Yeah, and they're and again, they're very colorful. They don't need a lot of room. Even if you just have a sunny balcony, you could grow those in a window box. All right, if
1: you've got a garden question, give us a call here at KSTE, 916-576-1578 or toll-free 866-331-8255. Email, send it to fred at farmerfred.com. We, we have questions. Let's go to the phones. Mark in Oakland. Yeah. Thanks thanks Hello. for calling us. Hello, Mark. Hi, Mark. Go ahead, Mark. Mark. Mark is not there. Mark was there. He went away. All right. But he raises an interesting question. He has a wood rat problem. And we don't know if it's a wood rat or a ratus ratus, uh, which is a roof rat. Now, maybe he meant roof rat. We don't. Mark went away. All right. The size of a small kitten says Brooks. <laughs> All right, that would be a rat, ratus, ratus. It sounds like um, roof rats. Roof rats are. Uh, they're also called Norwegian roof rats, and they are difficult to control. Uh, you basically got to, in, in in the words of pest control operators, follow the poop figure out where they're going. Yes, they can ravage your garden, but they're probably living inside your attic or in some sort of protected area. And that's when you start putting out the traps. I know a lot of people like the zapper, which is this it looks like a lunchbox, and you put a little bit of food inside and they step on this metal plate to get it and they get zapped, electrocuted. It's like a San Quentin style execution for your roof rats. And then you can just dump it into the trash. Or something like that, but the zapper seems to work. If you've got a big roof rat problem, but that's a that's a long range uh, battle that a lot of people have, especially in suburbia. In
2: Sacramento, yeah, we yeah. have the two different kinds. It depends on um, where they're coming in from and what they're looking for. Yeah,
1: yeah, and to seal it, once you get them out, if you can seal all the openings into your attic, that can help. And most roof rats, it doesn't take much for them to get in.
2: No, they can squeeze through a really narrow area.
1: Yeah, probably. I've heard tales of a half inch, but I think maybe more like an inch still. Uh, And, you know, I've been warned that where I live now there's, there's roof rats. I haven't seen any yet. But sometimes when I'm in my garage, I hear some strange noises in the roof and in the walls. I go.
2: Yeah. I mean, pretty much anywhere you are in Sacramento, you'll see them running along the telephone lines or along the fence, usually around dusk. Yeah. Um, And then if you want, I mean, go to the UC IPM website, just put in rats in the um, search (laughs) bar and they've got quite a bit of information there.
1: Yeah, exactly. And uh, a lot of the poisons that used to be available for rats are not available anymore. And uh, you've got to read and follow all label directions. Yeah, because there's
2: been a lot of issues with secondary poisonings of wildlife.
1: Exactly. And not only that, but pets. And pets. As yeah. well. So yeah. very important. Another thing, uh, if you're planning on not having a winter garden, maybe you're tearing out your tomatoes and peppers. I know some of you are saying, wait a minute, I'm not tearing out my tomatoes and peppers. I'm going to keep that plant there until the very last one is harvested. Well, that might not be till Thanksgiving or beyond. But if you want to improve your soil, maybe it's a good idea to take out those half-hearted tomato and pepper plants and zucchini plants right now and and uh, refurbish your soil during the winter. And one of the ways to do that, and you carry a, a big supply out at Fair Oaks Boulevard Nursery, Quentin, are cover crop seeds. Yes. And what are cover crop seeds, what do they do, what are the selections available?
2: Well, basically it's just, you know, if you don't want to use your beds over the winter, you put down the cover crop seeds, water them in, let them germinate, let their winter rains take care of them. Um, They'll add nitrogen to the soil, organic matter to the soil, and then you're going to cut them down about four to six weeks before you want to replant into the beds.
1: I think the key with a lot of cover crops is you want to hack them back before they're at 50% flowering stage in order to keep that nitrogen into the ground. That's correct. And I've, we were talking uh, a few weeks ago to Sarah Griffin Bubakar up at Peaceful Valley Farm Supply, and she was insistent that after you've chopped your cover crops down to manageable sizes, maybe in six-inch chunks or smaller, is to cover it up. Otherwise, the nitrogen is just released to the air. So put a, a layer of mulch on top, or work them into the ground. Work it into the ground. Yeah, yeah. In order to keep that nitrogen in the ground. So you brought with you some uh, fava beans and some mustard seed.
2: Yes, and I like both of these. You know, the fava beans are edible. We had the conversation earlier about, you know, do you let them produce beans and lose some of the nitrogen? I think it's worth it because it's it's another uh, low maintenance, uh, easy to harvest crop. They're quite expensive in the store because you're paying primarily by weight Mm -hmm. and like you and I were talking about the pods are quite large the beans aren't so you're paying for a lot of pod Um, so again I like the fava beans I like the flower you can eat the greens as well Um, they sort of have multiple uses they're flowering when the pollinators are looking for pollen in the late winter early spring same with the field mustard
1: Yeah, field mustard used a lot in California agriculture, especially in almond orchards, because mustard tends to flower in February. It's one of the first crops to flower, and it keeps the bees around, the almond trees, early on to give them something to do before the almond tree blossoms open up.
2: Yeah, and you could also do, um, we also carry, let's see what else, Austrian pea, um, we've got white clover, red clover, um, another good one would be annual rye. You know, so there's all kinds of cover crops that you can use.
1: Vetch. You got vetch.
2: Vetch, yeah. Hairy right. vetch.
1: Hairy vetch. All right. Quentin Young is here. We'll take a short break. More of Get Growing on the way on Talk 650 KSTE.
0: Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman.
1: And Quentin Young is here from Fair Oaks Boulevard Nursery in Sacramento, right on the border of Carmichael there at Fair Oaks Boulevard and Mission. Open on Sundays?
2: Yes, open today, and I'll be there um, when we're done here.
1: Oh, okay. All right, so people can come and meet you and find out more about all the cool season plants we're talking about. Sure. Uh is there going to be any rat tail radishes there?
2: Uh the seeds will be in next week. Okay.
1: All right. Uh I'm still I'm still burping up radishes from that rat tail radish that I had over on KFBK, but thank you for the experience. Certainly. Yes. They're good. All right. Email questions. I've been getting some interesting email questions that I I'm trying to figure out how people got to where they got to uh that would make them ask this question. For instance, Patrick from Antelope writes in. He says, we have a peach tree that has lost a lot of leaves and is left with many bare branches. When is the best time to try notching to encourage new leaf shoots? Where did that come from? Yeah.
2: Um, I guess my first question would be, if it's leafless at the end of the summer, my first response is, is it getting enough water? Mm Mm-hmm. I would start there.
1: Uh, I would quote Star Trek and say, it's dead, Jim. Yeah, yeah. plants that lose their—other than a California buckeye tree, any plant that's losing its leaves, a fruit tree especially, that's losing its leaves in uh, July and August when it's not raining. So it's not peach leaf curl. It's causing the leaves to fall. And if it is serious enough where you got bare branches— uh, you could do the old bender break test, bender
2: break, or do the fingernail scratch. Yeah, yeah, and
1: see if it's green below the outer bark layer. Yeah, uh, basically, when you the bender break test is take a small branch in your hand without leaves, gently bend it. If it bends without snapping, it may still be alive. And if it does snap, go back a little further up the branch to a thicker part and try bending it there. Does it snap? And sometimes it just takes time. I had a, a four in one uh, pluot tree that. Died a sad death this summer. Uh, All the leaves fell off back in June. I think it was upset at all the landscaping going on. It was in a container. And then it got hot. You may remember that may have played a part in it. But even though the leaves fell off, the branches were still bending. But now they're just breaking. Yeah, so I think it's dead, Jim.
2: I would check to see, yeah, if it, and then think about whether you want to um paint those exposed branches. Yeah, if you um, want to save it. Yeah. yeah, it's a little late now, but um, because it, it's gone through the hottest part of the year. But I would definitely check on that watering. Yeah, uh,
1: that for a situation like that. I mean, it's a peach tree. I, do peach trees get verticillium wilt? Uh,
2: not as yeah. no, maybe a apricot, but not so much a peach.
1: Yeah, so I don't think it would be a disease issue. as something more physiological. Like that. So, but notching to encourage new leaf shoots, where does that come from? Is Jerry Baker back on the air somewhere? I don't know. I don't know either. Uh, would that do anything?
2: Uh, that's something they may have found from a commercial orchard. They sometimes will do that on pears, things like that, to yeah. try to get notching, try to get branching on a lower level. I don't know if I'd recommend that for a homeowner.
1: I don't think I would recommend it for the fall either. No. Because you're opening it up to all sorts of possible wounds. Infections, with, yeah. Because, in,
2: yeah. yeah, we don't recommend pruning any stone fruits pretty much after September. Yeah. At and, the Horde Center.
1: Right. And especially apricots and cherries. Yes. Yeah. Because of their propensity for getting rainborne diseases. And we don't know. It almost rained last week. Yeah. It, it could rain again. Um uh, I think it was like October 2nd last year when it first rained. And if the Old Farmer's Almanac is true and it is a cold, wet winter with rain in October, then maybe we'll we'll see it. But we don't know. So anyway, I'm not sure, Patrick, where you get this idea of notching new leaf shoots. I don't think you're going to get new growth now. Uh, If you wanted to try that, maybe next spring uh, when it's just starting to leaf out. But then, again, you're opening it up to possible infection from any sort of spring rain. So basically, I'd let the tree try to do it itself and not be fooling around with a knife on your tree.
2: And check the watering.
1: Yeah, exactly. exactly. Check the watering. Make sure that uh, the roots are healthy. All right. Nancy writes in and says, when is the ground cool enough to plant new shrubs, spring bulbs, and to transplant shrubs? Uh, In Zone 9, October 1st. Well, October 1st is a good date, but the fact about is the ground cool enough, actually what you want is the ground warm enough, and that's the whole idea of planting in fall. Have that warm soil.
2: Yeah, and hopefully we'll get some fall rains. Yeah,
1: but uh, the cooler air temperatures in combination with uh, warm soil temperatures help ease transplant shock for planting bulbs and shrubs and transplanting shrubs. And as far as when, today would be a good day. Yeah.
2: now that it's getting cooler Uh, yeah
1: anytime roughly between labor day and halloween is is good planting weather here in fact you'll find that most of the big sales of plants by arboretums or botanical gardens or uh, the california native plant society those are usually held in october and that's uh, the time to be doing a lot yeah
2: especially for uh, west coast natives
1: yeah. yeah Get run through the process of planting West Coast natives, California natives. We talked earlier on the KFBK show about the importance of just using the native soil, not creating some sort of in-ground pot with fluffy store-bought soil for California natives. You want them to have California native soil.
2: Yeah, in a perfect world, yes. You don't want to mix in a lot of fertilizer. You don't want to mix in a lot of soil amendment. Um, I usually recommend that when you take them out of the pot, you slide them out gently um, I usually recommend that you don't disturb a lot of native plants' roots. Mm. They don't seem to like that. They sort of resent it. Um, put it in the, the the hole that you prepared for it. Mm-hmm. Um, press it down a little bit. Water it in. And then, again, like we talked about earlier, a lot of the West Coast natives, even though they're water efficient, will need regular water for their first season or at least first year right. until they get established.
1: And then you can go to whatever the water requirements are. And not all California natives are drought
2: tolerant. That's true, and not all California natives, uh, or I would say West Coast natives, are um, good for our location. You have things that are native to the coast, you know, things that are native to different areas on the West Coast, and we technically are still the Central Valley Desert, or Dry Steppe.
1: For instance, a Coast Redwood. Yes. Yeah.
2: Some of the, um, struggle with our heat. Yeah. Yeah. They do a little bit better with afternoon shade. So you have to do a little bit of experimenting or check with your local nursery or go to a, you know, like the water efficient landscape at the Hort center, Mm -hmm. really to see kind of hands on how some of these plants do in our area.
1: Yeah. Central Valley plants. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. If you take that weekend trip to Humboldt or Mendocino and start falling in love with plants right along the seashore, you're asking for trouble bringing it back here.
2: Yeah, and then putting it out in the middle of your lawn, you know, in the middle of your garden that gets full blazing sun yeah. all day long.
1: Yeah, exactly. you got to remember that on the coast, it very seldom gets to 100 degrees. And they have all sorts of fog most of the they year.
2: Do. They do, and all, they have that cooling, you know, especially in the evenings, that, you know, maritime influence comes in and mm-hmm. cools things down. Yeah. You know, we can have nights that's still in the 80s, really cool. Uh, can put a lot of strain on a lot of plants
1: now for those of you listening along the coast go for it if you if you have a lot of marine influence where you live maybe in the east bay if you're on the uh, ocean side of the east bay uh, and get a lot of cloud cover in the mornings yeah you might be able to do it but uh, here in the central valley where most mornings dawn clear it's not such a good idea all right quentin young is here from fair oaks boulevard nursery got a garden question give us a call Five seven six one five seven eight, or toll free 866 Email send it to fred at farmerfred.com. It's get growing on Talk 650 KSTE.
0: You're listening to Get Growing
1: with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE.
0: Here again, Fred Hoffman.
1: With Quentin Young from Fair Oaks Boulevard Nursery. Brooks is running the board today. He's preparing, sharpening his pencil for the garden grappler in about a half hour. A chance for you to pick up a prize or two from the Farmer Fred Prize Closet. So we'll be doing that in about 30 minutes or so. Got a garden question in the meantime? Give us a call, 576-1578 in the 916 Toll-free, 866-331-8255. Email, send it to fred at farmerfred.com. Edie in Sacramento, thanks for giving us a call this morning.
4: Good morning, Fred. Hi. It's my pleasure. Uh, I wanted to ask, we have a nectarine tree, and uh, last year the fruit was wonderful. This year the fruit has a strange sort of a brown circle at the stem area. Uh, it looks almost like dried sap. And on the inside, when you break it open, the uh, the seed or the pit comes apart. It's in two pieces. And I wondered what causes that other than weather.
1: Yeah, no, well, you, uh, you just said the you answer. You just said
2: the answer, yeah. It's the <laughs> high heat during fruit production.
1: Uh, yeah, that is. A, it's a physiological condition. I want to call it, not called pit drop, pit something. Yeah, pit yeah, basically. Yeah, a, exactly. When we have these yeah. high,
2: this high heat during the, the while the fruit's, uh, forming yeah. Forming, yeah, especially around the pit yeah, you, And it's all rotted out usually in the center of the pit
1: Right, and we had that heat wave back in June When a lot of the fruit was just forming yeah. And uh, chalk it up to the weather
4: And the, the stuff around the, um, where you break at the stem area What is that? That sort of hard brown skin, same thing?
1: Yeah, that just like tomatoes can get that cracking or cat-facing uh, Due to high heat, it's I the same see. thing
4: and nothing can be done about that.
1: You could try moving to Mendocino and growing nectarines <laughs> there,
2: but good luck.
4: Did I understand that um, you should, if you want to prune that tree, you should do it before the end of September?
2: Yes. Well, so at the Horticulture Center, we do summer pruning. So we've been pruning our nectarines and our peaches, and we probably will do maybe one more light pruning, and then that's going to be it for the year.
1: However, remember, they're keeping all their trees at just six or seven feet
2: tall.
4: Well, this is supposed to be a dwarf or a miniature, whatever it's called. Uh, But it's getting very broad and tall. It's getting uh, larger than I'd like it to be.
1: How tall is it getting?
4: Oh, let's see. I would say it's about five feet. Okay. Well, that's that's still dwarf
1: size. Is it? Yeah. Yeah, especially if it's... uh, a known dwarf variety, they, they, and they can get a spread equal to their height. That's not unusual.
2: Yeah, especially the genetic the genetic dwarfs.
4: Yeah. Okay, so it's very normal.
2: Yeah, yeah. But we, like I said, we do the pruning during the summertime. I wouldn't wait too much longer to do any of the shaping.
1: Gen- okay. Generally okay. speaking, at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center, do you do your pruning uh, at? Fruit set, and then again at fruit harvest.
2: Yes, after fruit harvest. Yeah. Okay. Because
1: I know what. D- Thank you very much. All right, Edie. Thanks for calling. Appreciate uh-huh. it. Yeah. Generally speaking, when it comes to uh, if you're practicing summer pruning, and, and this assumes that you have kept the tree at six feet tall. Yes. And the, and
2: in conjunction with fruit thinning.
1: Right. Do it's it. all.
2: Yeah. It's all. It's sort of a uh, all inclusive kind of task list.
1: Yeah. I mean, you're going to visit your fruit trees at least twice a year. One to thin out the fruit. In the spring, and one to harvest the fruit in the summer. And while you're there, take your nippers with you, and uh, just prune back the new growth so that that tree is no taller than you can reach. Yeah,
2: open up that center, get light down to the lower branches.
1: Maybe, and the winter time can be useful for finding rubbing branches that may be hidden by the leaves, uh, crossing branches that, uh, in order to keep that center open. Uh, get that out because you're still looking for that uh, martini glass shape, aren't you? Yes. Right. And with so sunlight and air circulation can get through the middle to keep that open. What advice do you have for people who have that 15 or 20 foot tree that want a six foot tree?
2: So there's a there's a good handout on the UC ANR website. Um, uh, basically, it's called. Uh, pruning overgrown fruit trees, I think. But in general, we recommend um, doing it in thirds over about three years.
1: So taking off no more than one-third the total growth. Exactly, yeah. So if you have a branch that's – if you got a tree that's 21 feet tall, this winter you take it back to 14 feet tall. Yeah. All right. And
2: again, I wouldn't – I don't know if I would do it in the winter depending on the tree, but, yeah, um, that's what we recommend. No more than a third of the time. and You're going to be doing it about over three years. What would happen if you did prune it all back? I think you see a lot of new growth just shoot up right through the center.
1: Yeah. So that would just increase your pruning. Yes. Uh, tasks. But once you get a tree to six or seven feet tall, it's fairly easy to maintain it. Yes. At that height. And no ladders are involved. No
2: ladders are involved. It just requires a little bit of regular maintenance. That's all.
1: Right. And to, um, uh, that's what it should get anyway. All right. So, uh, yeah, Chuck Engels did write that article about uh, pruning overgrown fruit trees. Yeah uh and, and it's i believe part of uh, the home orchard website which is homeorchard.ucdavis.edu perfect and uh and he has a, a coming out with a new uh, edition
2: of the home orchard book which is a great book especially if you want to see pictures of the shapes of the trees mm-hmm. of of you know something like a modified central leader versus a open center really good um silhouette diagrams
1: right and uh as he points out in the article is you uh want to there there are several methods you can employ and one of the method is to uh, reduce the tree height slowly over a 3 year period
2: yeah and is there a publication number on that one
1: publication number 8058
2: perfect yeah
1: fruit trees pruning overgrown deciduous trees
2: yeah so you can go to the uh Fair Oaks horticulture center website and you can see that or just google it On the UCANR website.
1: And it's a PDF, so you can download it easily enough there. And it was last updated 2002? No. Uh, I don't see a date here. But I I think they do a good job of keeping these fairly up to date. Good. Because, as you know, everything we know is wrong. Yeah, and it we're changes. always learning. Yeah, yeah. we're always it's, learning. It's amazing. Uh, just, I mean, look at, uh, in the world of uh, pesticides, how that's changed Yeah, over the all years. the time. Yeah, the, yeah. Ima-
2: the chemicals that we use, how we apply them, pesticides and herbicides.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's an ongoing process. And uh, generally speaking. That's a speaking, good thing.
2: Yeah, that's a good thing about the, the university research.
1: And uh, the whole integrated pest management approach to problems, which is start with the least toxic alternative. And actually, that first alternative is the right plant in the right place. Yeah.
2: And just and learn to accept, um, you know.
1: Yeah, learn to accept a few issues. Yeah, a few issues. Yeah. Yeah.
2: A few aphids here and there, a few leaf chews here and there.
1: A lot of people, when they—I mean, and you get this all the time, too—they don't know what the bug is they see on the plant. Right. And so their first instinct is kill it. Yeah. And it could be a garden good guy. It could be a beneficial— In its adolescent stage, or one of the early instars, which can look quite different from an adult,
2: or don't you know? uh, There's a difference between, let's say, insect damage and uh, fungal damage. Mm -hmm. You know, so and the two the two treatments are going to be very different. Yeah, you know, so spraying an insect with a fungicide, um, you're just kind of wasting money.
1: And sometimes uh, it's the secondary infection that might be worse, uh, as far as pests that attack it. Um, look at if a plant gets aphids, how soon ants follow yeah. to herd those aphids around. And so you need to control the aphids and the ants at the same time. And so you put out ant bait in like a boric acid in a little trap area. It's not really a trap. It's more of a lure. And then they take the boric acid back to the nest. One of my favorite um, things to use as far as, Controlling ants. It's a device that isn't widely available. I don't know if you have it at the nursery or not, but uh, you can find them online uh, through Amazon and other places too. And I, at, at the Farmer Fred Ramp blog page on the side, I've got a picture of it. Uh, they're basically called uh, Ant Cafe Bait Stations, and they come in a variety of shapes. And some are like discs, some look like the Cal Expo water tower. And basically, you fill it with a liquid boric acid solution. And the one I have pictured here is called gourmet liquid ant bait. And the reason I like that is the boric acid concentration in this is not very much at all. It's like 1% or 2%. And the ants are more likely to pick that up and take it back to the nest. And uh, their friends say, hey, wait a minute, you got something on you. Let me lick it off you and pretty soon you've got a dead ant colony. It does take a couple of weeks for it to work. If you put out too much boric acid, if you put out too much, especially of the powder, they will avoid it. They can sense trouble. But if it's a diluted product, like this gourmet liquid ant bait, uh, they tend to uh, feed on it regularly. And the uh, ant bait station that I've been using with that is the one that looks like a Cal Expo water tower. Uh, that stores it, and then the ants uh, have a little trough down there that they can feed in. It becomes very popular with the ants, but you have to be patient. You're not going to see that instant kill, but but in a couple of weeks, the ants will go away. I really like this stuff. No, beer won't work, Brooks. Um, Beer only works on snails, and uh, basically cheap beer, too. So if you're looking to kill snails with that uh, pie pan full of beer, uh, is Lucky Lager still available? Uh, whatever cheap stuff is out there works the best, On if you like drunk snails. All right, we'll take a short break. When we come back, more phone questions. We'll get to your questions. 576-1578 or toll-free 866-331-8255. It's Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. <laughs>
0: Get growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman.
1: With Quentin Young from Fair Oaks Boulevard Nursery. He's the manager out there. He's also a Sacramento County Master Gardener. And Chris in Sacramento's on the line with us. Hi, Chris.
4: Hey, uh, I have a question about a spider. Okay. Um, it's uh, kind of hairy, black. It's not a black widow. Uh, it has got looks like it's got a bunch of eyes on each side. And <laughs> okay. it's... it's is, looks its nest looks like cotton a cotton ball. I'm just wondering is that a good or a bad spider
2: Well to me all good, all spiders are good, but that's a jumping spider. Um, if okay. you google it you'll see they're they they're really pretty and then like you said that little nest is often referred to as a den and they use those dens usually to um, either mate or to sort of hang out there or to lay their eggs but they are very good uh, beneficial uh spiders and they're not dangerous to humans at all do they jump they do jump they do jump and they actually they have a little tether when they jump they're actually quite interesting to watch they come in a whole range of very interesting colors um they're they're quite interesting i think to watch um and i think they're kind of furry and fuzzy and sort of cute and i think it's a good way to get kids interested in spiders because i don't think they're very threatening looking very good. Uh, I just wanted to make a comment. Uh, I, I know that all good all spiders are good. Uh, the black widow is good also, but not
4: by my front porch. No, yeah. I know
2: exactly. Yeah, I know exactly <laughs> what you mean. Yeah, I wouldn't want a black widow, let's say, in my house. But this is one of those ones. They're um, they're uh, they're a really good spider, I think. Uh, yeah, and they they eat a lot of weird things. Yeah. Okay. Thank you very much. All right, sure. Chris.
1: Thanks for the question. Uh, it's always good to, to know your spiders. Because as you pointed out, uh the spider really has to be in a problematic area.
2: That's true. Yeah. And like I said, yeah, black widows, I can understand, completely understand if they're in your garage or in your house or somewhere where you've got pets and children. Yeah. I can completely see not wanting them there.
1: Quite frequently beneath your patio furniture. Yes. So yeah. you want to be chair. careful yes. uh, yeah. when when handling that. And but but spiders do a world of good. Uh we were talking during the break about spiders that uh are, are controlling a, a pest that is rapidly taking over in our area called the leaf-footed bug. Yes. And there's a spider that you found at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center that's uh, helping control that.
2: Yeah, we've got a, uh, or no, uh, we've got a, a spallied pomegranate, and then um, you can see there's quite a few different um, sort of nests of funnel spiders um, where they have sort of a, a funnel tube that they live in and then um, uh, splayed out in front of them is their web. And in that web, we found quite a few um, desiccated bodies of leaf-footed bugs. So they are doing their job to keep that population down.
1: And so what do people do, though, when they see a spider? They go, eek,
2: a spider. Yeah, and then they—so I always try to—yeah, try to identify it if you can. I'm trying not to spray it. But again, like we were talking about, there's a difference between that and, let's say, a black widow that's underneath your chair— um, but they do have a role in the garden. And I can definitely see, like we were talking about with the big orb spinners that are around now, you know, walking into one face first can be a little bit unnerving. Um, but they they also have a role, too, and they can catch a lot of flying insects, um, you know, especially when they're higher up and not into face level.
1: Right. Um, and so to control mosquitoes and even aphids or white flies, that may be uh, flitting about uh, moths. The, the, yeah. moths. Yeah. yeah. The, the webs can do a good job. Unfortunately, in, in a lot of situations, uh, summer is the time when you may be walking through the garden during especially the early morning. And all of a sudden you've just walked into a spider web that has been strung between two plants. Yes.
2: Six feet apart. And you don't know where the spider is.
1: Yes. And all you know, you go, ah.
2: That's when you start. Yeah. Yeah. Doing the flailing about. Yeah.
1: Yes. But this spider is doing your dirty work for you, controlling a lot of pests. Exactly. And you probably won't run into the spider more than likely. They tend to
2: move pretty quickly once their web's being disturbed in that manner. Cause yeah. How the heck
1: do they make a span that sort of distance overnight?
2: Uh, yeah. They do an amazing amount of work.
1: Yeah. But I, I think the point we're getting at here is unless the spider is threatening you and your family, and it's out in the garden, leave it alone.
2: Yeah, see if you can ID it, learn about it. Yeah,
1: don't spray it. But it's like, oh, you just just killed a garden good guy for no particular reason. Now, yeah, if he's, you know, hanging over your front porch and it's a black widow, well, take some action, you know, get the broom out. But uh, if if you don't know, you haven't ID'd the spider and it's out in your garden, For heaven's sakes, the only thing it's going after are are flying insects. And most flying insects, uh, if they're doing damage, they're bad guys. The good guys tend to not fly as much and tend to just stay where the uh, food is. So, Integrated pest management. Thank you. Yes, integrated pest management is the key here. Garden Grappler coming up after the news at 11 o'clock. Clue available at FarmerFred.com. I do believe I posted a clue at the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page as well. It'll have to do with a lot of what we are talking about here this morning. And uh, I know that uh, you have to sort of roll with the seasons in the nursery business. Now, one of the hardest parts, and and, and you as a manager of a nursery face this issue as well, as growers do, is, What are trends going to be for the next year, or or three years down the line? If you're a grower, you're wondering, okay, for me to bring a plant to market, it's going to take me three years. Yeah, what's going to be hot in three years? What's not going to be hot in three years? So, what are you seeing? And you've been to the trade shows this summer, the the Far West Show. Did you go to the IGC show in Chicago? Uh, No. Okay, the Independent Garden Center show, which is a huge show. Uh, back in Chicago, but the Far West Show up in Portland is a huge show as well. And they're trying to tell you what's going to be hot next year. Sure. Uh, in your own estimation, what do you think is going to be hot next year?
2: I think it's always uh, water-efficient plants, edibles, and I think because the weather is getting a little bit better, at least for one year, people are a little bit more interested in just general landscaping.
1: Yeah, there's water available now. Yeah. And some water agencies have loosened. They haven't totally taken off water restrictions. And it makes sense. You don't need to water your lawn every day. No. And I
2: think I'm, I uh, think people are still aware of how much water uh, lawns and just landscaping in general use. So I think people are just very still water aware, which is a good thing.
1: And with the onset of more water meters in the Sacramento area, people are now aware of that on a bi-monthly basis yeah. or in every other month basis.
2: And I just think the development of plants is getting their the introductions are, are more relevant to size. Mm-hmm. So instead of, let's say, one shrub that is only from, let's say, 6 to 10 feet, now you're looking at maybe the same variety, different varieties of that shrub. Some stay at 2 feet, some stay at 4 feet, some stay at 6 to 8 feet. So there's a lot more range in in shape and size of landscape plants.
1: One of the more popular landscaping shrubs in our area is loripetalum. And it used to be the loripetalum uh, would be a single species or some variants on that single species of about the same height, six to eight feet with a six to eight foot spread. And now there are, there are dwarf lower yeah. petalums out there. Dwarf
2: ones. There's uh, different colored leaves. You've got the green with the white leaf. So yeah, there's a lot of different varieties that come out. Same with the Nandina. Mm-hmm. Sunset probably has three or four different varieties this year. Flirt, Obsession, Lemon Lime, Pink, um, so yeah, again, you're just looking a lot, a lot more uh, development of different colors, different leaf patterns, things like that.
1: Laura Petalum and Andina, two examples of plants with year-round interest.
2: Yeah, and and very water efficient once they get established. Yeah,
1: we'll take a short break when we come back. It'll be Garden Grappler time, a chance for you to pick up a prize or two from the Farmer Fred Prize Closet. Uh, I think you'll have an easy time of it, and uh, just have a backup answer because, as you know, in the Garden Grappler, you can't repeat an earlier answer coming up in hour two of get growing right here on talk 650 kste
0: you're listening to get growing with farmer fred talk
1: 650 kste
0: here again fred hoffman
1: Brooks, are you ready in there? All right, he's ready to start jotting down names and numbers of people who just might be winners in today's Garden Grappler contest. Quentin Young is here. He's ready to judge the quality of your answers. All five callers get a prize, special bonus prize for Caller 5, because as you know, in the Garden Grappler, you cannot repeat an earlier answer, so have a backup answer. Today's question, boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, little animals gathered there by the light of the electric radio, name an edible ornamental. Name an edible ornamental. Now, Quentin, wh- what do we mean by an edible ornamental?
2: Uh, to me, it just means an edible plant that has an ornamental uh, purpose—something pretty that you eat. Yeah. All
1: right. Yeah. Fine.
2: Yeah. Where well, you can fit a lot of edibles into your landscaping.
1: All right. And the numbers to call in with your answers to name an edible ornamental: five seven six fifteen seventy eight in the nine one six five seven six fifteen seventy eight. Outside the area, 866-331-8255. 866-331-8255. Have a backup answer. Okay. All right. Just in case. There's plenty out there. So while people are ruminating on that one, let's uh, delve into something where we will not stumble into accidentally giving out edible ornamental answers here. So the email from somebody said, my daughter had some beautiful grape vines covering her fence. Then when she moved, that was when she moved into her home in early 2011. Every year we have enjoyed the fruit of the vine, their beautiful, delicious, small red grapes. About two weeks ago, we picked an abundance and there was a lot we left on the vine that still needed to ripen. This Saturday was our day to pick the remaining grapes to share again with friends and family. When we started looking for them, there was not one bunch for us to gather. Every branch that had the long bunches on them was totally stripped. Each and every little grape was off all the branches, not one for us to pick. We have never seen any sign of this in all the six years she has lived in her home. Any idea what could have eaten all the grapes, one grape at a time?
2: Um, mm, well, I mean, I have lots of guesses. My first response was, can you tell if they disappeared during the day or at night? and that's going to help you narrow it down. But most likely, um, something found it, some sort of wildlife found it as a food source or as a water source and decided to eat them all.
1: The fact that it was stripped cleanly kind of indicates to me it's birds. Birds, yeah. Big birds, like crows. Like a flock of crows came crows. in.
2: I know at the Hort Center they have problems with turkeys. Yeah. Yeah. So a but lot turkeys of it, leave a mess. They can leave a mess. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: It's a, The other, I guess, way to help pinpoint the problem would be If you think the problem is going to happen, but it hasn't happened yet, take some flour out of the kitchen, F L O U R, flour, kitchen flour, baking flour, and spread it in a thin layer beneath the canopy of the plant. And then the following morning, go out and look for footprints and see if you see any.
2: Yeah, I mean, if it yeah, because like you said, if it happens during the day, it's going to be birds or Mm -hmm. squirrels. Um, If it happens at night, it's going to be rats. Possums, skunks, you know, there's a, you know, raccoons. There's going to be a a different different class depending on whether it's day or night.
1: Yeah, and birds move quick, especially crows. I've had uh, almond trees stripped in the matter of an hour, just by a fly. Like crows are smart.
2: They're they're smart and they wait for things to ripen. Yeah, and they know where it is too. They come
1: back year after year, and they bring in all their friends, and they can strip a tree quickly. Yeah, and, so at the horse center
2: they use avogard which is a kind of bird netting, mm-hmm. and same sort of thing just like the frost cloth that has to be taken all the way to the ground.
1: Well, that's the other option then if you've got grapes and you're mysteriously losing them is to put some sort of netting over yeah. it to protect the grapes from birds or uh, you'd have to secure it to the ground in case it is a uh, ground problem possum I, say, I I don't really think it is possum or rats because they tend to leave a mess. They wouldn't strip an entire cluster bear. And you'd see some half-eaten ones, too. So it, it, that, that just reeks of birds to me. I know of no cure for that other than netting. hmm Yeah, at the time. So you have to be vigilant. Hope that helps. All right, Garden Grappler question. Name an edible ornamental number one on our list of five is lisa in antioch hi lisa hi yes hi go ahead name us an edible ornamental if you would please blueberry Mm -hmm. perfect yeah blueberries what off the top of your head quentin do you know which southern highbush blueberry varieties are evergreen
2: i would say in our climate very few if any yeah there are a few yeah but I'm,
1: I'm blanking out on which ones have that tendency
2: more. And obviously, it depends on the winter weather. depends on the winter weather. In general, they're going to give you some really nice orange to rust-colored leaves. Yeah. But even the evergreen varieties, I still consider to be semi-evergreen in Sacramento.
1: Yeah. My, one of the big issues with the southern highbush varieties that do so well right. in our area, as opposed to the northern highbush varieties, which do better, say, up in the Pacific Northwest, the southern highbush varieties tend to produce a smaller berry. And of the bigger, buried southern highbush varieties, I can think of O'Neill.
2: O'Neill. Reveille Uh, is a good one.
1: Reveille has bigger ones. I'm going to write that down. And Jubilee. All right. Reveille, Jubilee, and O'Neill for the bigger, buried southern highbush varieties that you may want to plant. Unless you like picking the small uh, ones, like Sharp Blue, which is... Misty. Misty. Mm
2: -hmm. But, uh, yeah, okay. Sunshine Blue. A lot of good varieties. South Moon.
1: Yeah, so more and more people are trying the Northern High Bush varieties with mixed
2: success. Jewel is a good one too, because that's a commercial variety.
1: Is it available? Yes. And it's a big berry.
2: Ah, uh, yes, because it's used. It was developed if not if I'm not mistaken in Florida.
1: Okay. So is it a Rabbit Eye or a Southern High? Bush? No, it's a Southern High Bush. Okay, because Rabbit Eyes are popular down in Florida. So Jewel O'Neill, Jubilee. And Reveille for yeah. big berries. Reveille was
2: hard to find. I, I started carrying them because uh, Gail Potauer, the uh, veggie group, was always trying to find them. So I try to always carry those in stock now.
1: All right. And I mentioned this earlier, and it bears repeating, that if you're looking for a specific variety of fruit trees, or in this case, a, a berry vine that is usually available in January, bare root form, is to order it now.
2: Or ask about if it's coming in. So for our blueberries, we'll have those in um, end of December, and they'll probably be in one-gallon liners. Mm -hmm. Um, Gives you a little bit more time. Uh, They have a much better developed root system as opposed to a bare root blueberry. Uh, You can plant them, and they'll get started pretty quickly. Ah,
1: okay. Okay. And again, though, I imagine you already have customers saying, hey, I want such and such a pluot variety or whatever. Can you put me on that list?
2: Sometimes. A lot of things I had to order a couple months ago.
1: Mm. Oh, really? It's past past prime time. Yeah. All right. But at least uh, you have an opportunity to do that. All right. So, Lisa, that was sort of a, a very roundabout discussion here to just say you're right. Congratulations. And uh, I'll be sending you, what what do we have for everybody today, Fred? Oh, from the University of California Integrated Pest Management people, how to control weeds in the landscape as well as ant controls. And I'll be sending you my handout on beneficial insects, the bad bugs they control, and the plants they love. So I'll be sending that your way. Thank you. All right, and thanks for the blueberries. Appreciate it. All right, bye-bye. Good edible ornamental there. Next up. In the Garden Grappler, it's Linda in Carmichael. Hi, Linda.
5: Hi there. Hi. I was just wondering if pine, uh, pineapple guava would would count.
2: Certainly. Yeah, yeah, that's a great uh, water efficient landscape shrub slash large tree, and
1: uh, or you can keep it small too yeah. if you want. Yeah. And what's nice about the pineapple guava, the it's no longer called feoa, is it? Is it aca?
2: Have they switched it already?
1: Yeah, it's either Aca or Feoa. I forget which is the newer term, but it's either Feoa celoena or it's Feoa. Feoa, Fe- yeah, celoena. Yeah. That's or, one I know it as. Or Aca celoena. But the pineapple guava, you get sort of two taste treats because the blossoms are tasty. Yes, and the fruit is uh, the fruit is an acquired taste, and it's a lot of taste work. Good, yeah, yeah. I yeah. like the taste. Yeah, it's sort of kiwi like. But it it is tasty. Yeah,
5: it's not the 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 hard thing to grasp is that they're not ripe until they actually fall off the tree.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah so that's it.
5: To put a it's best to put a a, a sheet underneath and um, and then hope that you can get to it before the squirrels.
4: <laughs> yes, know, that's it. They
5: it, they just purposely take a bite out of everything so that I get you know, but you just cut it in half and scoop it out.
4: There
1: you go. Yeah, and use it, a and, tiny spoon.
2: And, and it has really been renamed Acca.
1: It is akka. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. Just, just to confuse us all even more. All right.
5: I did have a question. Sure. I, actually, I had two, and it might involve the, the pineapple guava, too. I, did, did I hear you say that this wasn't a good time to prune trees? I mean, I was thinking of pruning the fig tree back because it's already produced. It, it produced a month early this year.
2: So there wouldn't be anything wrong with pr- with pruning the fig tree. We prune our fig tree at the Horticulture Center in the dead of winter. What we usually recommend at the Hort Center is that you don't prune a lot of your stone fruit trees in winter okay. to, to cut back on the spread of disease.
5: What about the pineapple guava? And I have a strawberry guava.
2: I think both of those would be fine. I'm um, pruning those in winter, most of those. The pineapple guava tends to stay evergreen, yeah. But I have no, evergreen. yeah, and I have no problem with shaping it throughout the year. The strawberry guava, I would maybe wait to prune it back, maybe in late winter, early spring.
5: Okay, so both of them, so all of them, wait till winter. Don't do anything right now. I
2: wouldn't do much right now. Okay. Unless, but I, but I have pruned uh, pineapple guavas throughout the year. They don't seem to really mind. So the old saw of. Prune
1: after bloom would hold for the pineapple guava. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Okay.
5: And the one one other thing is, can you suggest a, a shade ground cover um, for an area? It's completely shaded. It's under some xylasmas, and it's there's also on the side of the house, which really has nothing growing on it. And I kind of dread. I leave. I let the leaves stay there in the winter, or I move leaves over there so I don't have a pool of mud but I was just wondering if there's any kind of a ground cover that you can suggest.
2: Shade-loving ground covers. A lot of it, I guess, would depend on what sort of height. Um, You know, there's things like Vinca Minor is going to be low-growing. Low-growing. Yeah, you've Mm -hmm. got things like Mondo Grass that might be clumping or liriope.
1: Can Hypericum take that much shade?
2: Uh, Yeah, it would probably take some shade, and you could mow it down from time to time.
1: Yeah, and the lower-growing variety of of Hypericum is uh, Creeping St. John's. Yeah yeah hypericum yeah h-y-p-e-r-i-c-u-m hypericum okay uh, creeping st john's wort is one of the more familiar varieties you usually see growing beneath trees
2: yeah for ornamental, example. ornamental strawberries yeah that's there's good. all kinds Frick of things. areas yeah yeah,
1: yeah. Okay.
5: ornamental strawberries okay yeah okay thank you so much Appreciate all right
1: it. okay linda thanks for calling i'll be sending you all that stuff i said lisa i'd send her looking forward to it <laughs> all right thanks for calling bye-bye all right Looking for callers three, four, and five in today's Garden Grappler. Name an edible ornamental. Lisa said blueberries. Linda said pineapple guava. Two excellent uh, plants to have in your yard in yeah. our area. In Sacramento, yeah. Yeah, they're, yeah. they're pretty and they're, uh, they produce good food. All right. So while Brooks lines up more, we'll take a short break. It's Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE.
0: Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again,
1: Fred Hoffman. Looking for winners three, four, and five in today's Garden Grappler. Name an edible ornamental. Winner so far, Lisa in Antioch said blueberries. Yes, indeed. Linda in Carmichael said pineapple guava. There's plenty more. In fact, there, there there's some right next to me here that we've been talking about on uh, this show and the KFBK Garden Show as well. And uh, to get in on the action in the Garden Grappler, give us a call, 576-1578, 576-1578 in the 916 or outside the area, 866-331-8255, 866-331-8255. Next up, let's go up to Nevada City, talk with
6: Karen. Hi, Karen. Hi. I would like to make a comment first (laughs) Sure. That I believe your first answer to the lady about the grapes disappearing all in one day or night uh, about birds is I had the same thing happen. I picked off of my grapes that it's about, oh, I'd say 25 feet long of grapes that I let crawl up into a bush that's like mm, maybe eight nine feet high, and it has a lot of leaves in it. And I thought, oh, I don't have to cover my grapes because they're hidden by the leaves in in this bush. And uh, I picked some of the grapes. I picked about three bunches, and they weren't quite ripe. So I waited another week, and I thought, oh, they're ripe. And I went out, and I could not find one grape anywhere. I couldn't even find the stems that they were on. And I looked on the ground. I thought, well, whatever took these grapes had to drop one or two on the ground. There's nothing on the ground. I've lived here 45 years, and I've never seen this happen.
4: <laughs> I couldn't figure out.
6: But there was one clue that made me think you were right. At the end of the <clears throat> grape uh, area where they were crawling through the, the um bush, you know, that's pretty tall, Uh, there were some splashes of grape juice on top of the garbage can lid. Uh That was the only thing I found. And I thought, this had to be something that was small enough to get into the, the bush and go back in there and find every single grape. It might be a bird living in the
1: bush. It might be a sparrow or a wren of some sort that likes evergreen cover. I
6: kind of thought that, too, because there's quite a few birds out there. But whatever it was, it knew to wait until the grapes were perfectly ripe.
1: Exactly. They said, uh, let's wait for the two-legged person to come back and
6: start picking them. <laughs> I know, and that's what happened. And I've just been floored. I feel like maybe I need to put a camera out there next
4: year. <laughs> they like, they oh,
6: actually could, do make cameras yeah. like that.
1: They make it for bird watchers that it that it's motion activated, yeah, and it, and it has a range of about twenty feet or so. That it, it takes a series of still photos that uh, click off, like, one every second or whatever time frame you want. Yeah. And, and, yeah, it's very enlightening, what you might and, find. And I
6: had, those were all the Missouri Concord, which is a real old variety that I got from a lady in Sacramento that came out in a covered wagon, and she brought, brought them from Missouri, and she said they make the best grape jelly because they're so flavorful and tart. Hmm. And so so... Um, I find that the wild creatures really like the wild stuff, the natural stuff. Oh, yeah. And so uh, and it, they're also um, uh, pretty much I, I'm letting everything that uses a low amount of water live and things that use a high amount of water, I'm going to replace them. There you go. For your answer um, on what would be a good plant that you could also eat. Uh, I like the elderberries, the wild elderberries. I've been trying to get them to grow at my 2,700-foot elevation, and I haven't been successful yet. And the Master Gardeners are having their sale soon, so I'm going to try it again. But they're kind of like a lilac tree. Yeah. They, they do bloom, yeah. So much taller yeah. than that. And well, then you can make delicious jelly from it.
1: Karen, let's ask uh, Quentin here. Uh, does mm-hmm. the elderberry qualify as a yeah, edible take it. or Yeah, All right, yeah. elderberry. All right. Good answer, Karen. I'm going to be sending you that information from the University of California Integrated Pest Management on controlling weeds and controlling ants, and also my handout on beneficial insects, the bad bugs they control, and the plants they love. And, Karen, we have to keep moving here, so thanks for your answer. Appreciate it. Okay, oh, th- th- thank don't, you. Don't hang up. Don't hang up because right. Brooks needs your address. So I'll put you back on hold. I think I, I pressed the right button there, Brooks. Good for me. All right. Who is next? It would be Zella in Lincoln. Hi, Zella.
5: Hi. How are
1: you? I'm fine. So go ahead. Give us a edible ornamental, if you would, please. Artichoke. Artichoke. Yeah, that's no joke. Yeah, all that's right.
2: a great, great structural plant.
1: All right, yeah. All right, and you know, I really like the blooms yeah. of the artichoke, yeah. and they attract so many bees. Yes. If you let them, if you don't harvest the artichoke and just let it flower,
2: yeah. artichokes or cardoons.
1: Cardoons. Yeah.
2: Was so isn't Cardoons that a
1: Rogers and Hammerstein play? Mm. No. No. Gilbert and Sullivan? It was
2: not. (laughs) Okay. But both of those would work.
1: Okay. Artie, Artie chokes. All right. Good answer there, Zella. So I'll be sending you that information. I told Karen I'd send her.
4: Thank
1: you very much. All right. Thanks for calling. Bye-bye. All right. Who's up next? It is Tim and Carmichael. Tim, I tell you what, if you can come up with an edible ornamental that is not a blueberry, a pineapple, guava, an artichoke, or an elderberry, I have for you the Sacramento County Gardening Guide and Calendar for 2018.
4: Love it. I got uh, my 2017 uh, Ace Hardware a few months ago, and I'm I'm needing a new one, so I haven't used these personally, but in high-end uh, restaurants, I've seen viola in salads, so like Johnny Jump Up petals mm. in in salads. So yep. hopefully that'll fly.
2: Yeah, no, I'll take that. Yeah, that's an edible flower. That's a good ornamental edible ornamental.
1: That's a What's one I even wouldn't even think of? Yeah, you, you could right. and yeah.
2: you could plant that with lettuces in a container. Yeah.
4: Yeah, and, you know, and I I'm, I'm, I must admit that I avoid them when I see them in a salad that I'm paying $17 for. <laughs> I, they end up being the only thing left on the plate, but I think they must be edible because I keep seeing them.
1: Yeah, dead customers don't buy many dinners in the future, so that would, it, it would be in their best interest to serve you edibles. Yeah. That's great. Tim, good answer there, so I'll be sending you the uh, Sacramento County uh, Master Gardener Gardening Guide and Calendar. But thank
0: you for uh, everything you do. I appreciate your
1: show. Thanks, Tim. I appreciate that, and I appreciate Quentin Young from spending part of his busy day uh, coming down here to the electric radio place to talk gardening with us. Quentin Young now going back to his other job at Fair Oaks Boulevard Nursery, which is, uh, where is it this week?
2: Uh, Fair Oaks and Mission. <laughs> Still there. Yeah, 4681 Fair Oaks Boulevard, seven days a week, 830 to 5.
1: Been there for as long as I can remember. Yeah, at least twenty twenty two 22 years now, I think. uh,
2: Then it was was before that, it was across the street.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, exactly.
2: They switched places.
1: Uh, Good answer. Good answer. I'm okay. Um,
2: (laughs) Hey, thanks. Do I get a prize?
1: Yeah, you get a prize. Uh, How about the John Jevons book, uh, How to Grow More Vegetables? Perfect. Thank you. All right. Good deal. Quentin, appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. uh, When the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center is open, folks, go out there and check out uh, Quentin and the gang's work on the orchard there and to get some good ideas on how you can have a backyard full of bearing fruit trees, and these trees are no taller than six feet. And it's just an amazing display that'll inspire you to do the same in your very own backyard garden. Thanks, Quentin. Thanks, Fred. All right. When we come back, uh, let's uh, delve into some garlic, shall we? We'll do that when we come back to get growing on Talk 650 KSTE. <laughs>
0: you are listening to get growing with farmer fred talk 650 kste here again fred hoffman
1: we're at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center talking with Master Gardener Gail Pothour Gail, it's garlic planting time, or at least garlic ordering time. And a lot of people don't realize garlic uh, prefers to be grown throughout the fall and the winter for a late spring or early summer harvest.
3: That's correct. Um, in fact, we usually try to get our garlic in about now, which is early September, because it's been so warm. We are probably going to hold off for a couple of weeks, but we're actually doing a garlic variety trial this year with nine different varieties of garlic, six of them hardneck and three of them softneck varieties, to see the difference, and some will be more pungent than others, and some will be more mellow, and so anyway, it's going to be fun to try different varieties.
1: For those who don't know, explain the difference between a hardneck and a softneck garlic.
3: A hardneck garlic has a woody center down the middle, and all the garlic cloves form around that and they tend to have a scape or what you call like a flower stalk that comes up in early spring and you just cut those off Um, the softnecks are the ones you find in the grocery store and they have a cluster of garlic cloves that are all kind of mashed together. They don't have a central core. They tend to store longer. That's why you find them in the grocery store. And if you want to do any braiding of your garlic, the soft necks are the ones that braid. The hard necks have a woody core, so they won't braid.
1: And for those who don't know, when you go to plant garlic, you gotta separate the cloves. Don't plant the whole head.
3: Exactly. And I would recommend choosing the largest cloves because those cloves will hopefully produce a larger bulb than the small ones. You can still do the small ones, but you'll end up with a small bulb. And um, do them with the pointy end up. And the scar, which is what you break off from the main bulb, is at the bottom. Fat side down. Yeah, exactly. And you can either, there's some debate about how deep to plant them. You can just kind of push them into the ground so that the, the pointy tip is just barely under the soil. I always put a little bit of a mulch to then help it um, throughout the winter. but. Yeah, they're easy to grow.
1: I imagine because they're growing in the ground, it needs to be a well-drained soil. So I would think containers or raised beds would be excellent for garlic.
3: That is correct. We do grow them in raised beds out here, and I do at home as well. However, one year I did them in a grow bag, one of those felt bags that's probably two feet in diameter, and grow it in there, or we've also done it in our wine barrels, our half-wine barrels. That's yeah, so as long as the soil drains really well, yeah, it's great. They're not real deep
1: right what sort of care what sort of fertilizer do they need through the fall and the winter
3: they generally will do well if you've prepared your soil well to begin with so we always add some compost and some fertilizer we use a chicken pelleted uh, fertilizer and then come late winter early spring it's good to give them a dose of say fish emulsion or something uh, because that's when they're really starting to take off and set their bulbs so just They really don't need a lot of fertilization, but one in the late winter, early spring is good.
1: And what a lot of people want to know is, when do you harvest them?
3: Well, you know, that depends. We usually harvest them end of May, early June. So you should allow space in your garden where you don't want to put your tomatoes in in April. So you have to allow space for them. However, last year, because our weather was kind of peculiar, we ended up harvesting in early May. So, it, it's an environmental thing, so you know, check the weather. Once the plants start to turn yellow, um, that's a sign that they're getting close to harvest.
1: Garlic, though, has a fairly long planting season about September through November, whenever you can find uh, the garlic available.
3: That's correct. And you should find them right now in the nurseries. I kind of hesitate to tell people to get the ones from the grocery store because you never know how they were grown, if there's a disease that could be transmitted through it or whatever. So it's always best to get garlic from a nursery and uh, whenever it's available there, it's time to plant.
1: Really, certified bulbs are best. You know that they're disease-free. If you want to try it from the grocery store, you may want to go with an organic grown variety because a lot of the garlic you see in the grocery stores are treated with an anti-sprouting agent, so you're going to be planting uh, a clove and nothing's going to happen.
3: That's correct. In fact, that also applies to potatoes. People often want to grow potatoes from the grocery store and they can be treated as well with something to keep them from sprouting. So it's best to get them from a good nursery
1: now there there is still some debate about when to harvest them and it depends on the color of the leaves that uh, there's one theory that when and generally those vertical leaves that a garlic sends up there's usually seven of them Mm -hmm. and there's the belief that well when three or four of the seven have turned brown that's the time to harvest it others say differently and I notice I here at the table here at the workshop, you have an excellent garlic growing book by Ron England called Growing Great Garlic, which is uh, the be-all and end-all for growing garlic.
3: That's correct. In fact, I was referred to that book by the Central Coast Farm Advisor who grows garlic uh, down in the Salinas area, and it is an excellent book. It's uh, uh, Not one that is usually carried in bookstores, you may have to order it, but it's an excellent book. And as far as when to harvest, I think if you ask, just like tomato growers, you ask 10. Mm. You'll get 10 different answers. Um, Generally, you want to have at least five to seven leaves on it. Each one of those leaves goes to one of the cloves. And um, uh, once what I do is when they start turning yellow, half of them when they start turning yellow, cut off the water, make sure they don't get any more irrigation, and then one up and see what it looks like. Now
1: not too many people can use a lot of garlic all at once, it's usually a little bit, so then comes the matter, okay you've grown the garlic, you've harvested the garlic, where do you put it?
3: Well, if I had a root cellar that would be the best place, (laughs) if I lived in the Midwest, but I just keep it in the coolest, darkest place in my house, which is an interior pantry, so it has no light. Keep it on the floor, I keep it covered, and I know that the hard necks are going to not last as long, so I've given some of those away. Soft necks I'm still using that I harvested in May.
1: For those that want have an artistic bent and want to do some braiding, are hard necks or soft necks better for braiding?
3: The soft necks, yeah, that's the ones you want to use for braiding, and it can be kind of fun. Um, what you usually do after you harvest the garlic is you want it to cure for um, several weeks. I put them in a cool, dry place uh, in the shade. I don't keep them in the sun, and Typically, you would cut off about an inch or two of the stem, and you just have the clove with a little bit of stem. If you want to braid them, you'd leave all that foliage on and then use that to braid. And if you go online, there's all kinds of tutorials on how to braid garlic.
1: Now, there's a lot of varieties of garlic available, and people would be amazed at the taste difference. If if your whole experience with garlic is supermarket garlic... Uh, You've been exposed to exactly one variety of aroma and taste because there are some in in your trials here that are are pungent. There are some that are sweet and there are some that are large and some that are small.
3: Correct. Uh, Some of them, when they're roasted, are going to be more mellow than others. If you eat them raw, some of them are almost too spicy and hot to do that. Some are more tame. So uh, we're doing this different nine varieties to just try them out to see what the difference is in eating them fresh and then cooking with them as well.
1: All right, I want you to name the nine varieties that you're going to be growing this year.
3: Okay, the hardneck varieties are Siberian, Spanish Roja, which is one of my favorites, mm-hmm. Rose du Lautrec, Asian Tempest, Spanish Benetti, and Italian Red Rocambole. And then the three softnecks are Inchelium Red, Silver Skin, and Northern Italian Red.
1: If someone were to ask me, okay, what, which of those is the easiest? I'm not a very good gardener. Which one would give me the most success? I would probably towards point them towards the silver skins.
3: Silver skin could be easier to grow. I actually haven't found much difference in the growth. I have found silver skin, um, and the other soft necks tend to have a little more environmental problems as far as they may want to um, have some buds around the outside that want to sprout kind of prematurely. That tends to happen on the softnecks. But silver skin would be easy to grow. I found the Spanish roja, and there's another one uh, called music. We are not growing that, but that's relatively easy to grow. Garlic is pretty easy.
1: And we should point out exactly the spacing of it because you can grow a lot of garlic in a a small uh, area, and we talked about separating off the cloves, planting them a couple of inches fat side down for each clove and what would be the spacing between the cloves
3: i've done anywhere from six inches to 12. usually i go six inches because when i want to have irrigation on in the beginning of the season my emitters are spaced six inches apart and so i'll put one at each you can get them a little bit closer um but six works for me
1: So, actually, in in a wine barrel, you could probably get 15 different varieties in there if you wanted to.
3: And I'm trying to think in my grow bag that is about the diameter of a wine barrel, I think I had probably 10 or 12 in there that I'm. Okay
1: there are a lot of great sources for garlic online if you can't find it at your local nursery uh, the Peaceful Valley Farm Supply for One sells a variety pack if you want to really go whole hog into the garlic world and try all sorts of different varieties
3: yeah a variety pack actually is good if you want to try more than one because often you have to buy them by the pound and a pound could be four or five big uh, bunches of cloves so Um, I don't know. It could get kind of pricey if you wanted to try five or six and you had to buy a pound of each, unless you have a lot of friends. What we did this year was Baker Creek at their seed store in Petaluma. They're selling them by the each, uh, $3 a piece, I think. And they're grown from Bernier Farms up in Geyserville, so they're relatively local. All right.
1: And the Baker Creek store, by the way, is in downtown Petaluma. It's an old bank building. It's just a gorgeous old building right in downtown Petaluma. And uh, just go there just for the experience.
3: Yeah. it's great fun. You'll find things that you can't live without.
1: <laughs> well, here we are. It's garlic growing season. Get at it, folks, and uh, have fun. Thanks, Gail.
3: It was fun, Fred. I enjoyed it.
0: growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman.
1: Even though fall does not officially start until the end of the week, it is for all intents and purposes meteorological fall, which is just a fancy way of saying it's cooler outside now. Go ahead and do whatever you're going to do in fall. Fall, of course, is for planting, and with the weather being cooler, now would be the time to get busy as far as putting in uh, cool season vegetables maybe your cool season annuals as well. Transplanting uh, trees and shrubs, planting new trees and shrubs too. Good time of year to do it because the soil is still warm right now. Soil temperatures in the valley, for the most part, are running, generally speaking, between uh, 75 and 80 degrees. That is a good temperature for roots to be reestablished. And with Daytime temperatures in the upper 70s to low 80s, as is the forecast for the coming week. And overnight lows still mild with uh, temperatures at least cooler in the upper 50s to low 60s. Perfect opportunity to give your plants a few weeks to get established. And so this is why we say fall is for planting. So now would be the time of uh, year to do it, especially in the next couple of weeks or so. Uh, looking for some African violets, are you? If you are, you might want to head to the Delta Gisneriad and African Violet Society show and sale going on today from now until 3 o'clock at the Shepherd Garden and Art Center at 3330 McKinley Boulevard. That They'll have hundreds of African violets for sale as well as Gisneriad's growing advice from their members Always a, a showy event. African Violets come in a wide range of colors and sizes. It's not just that purple and white you see at grocery stores. It's a lot more than that. So uh, head on over to the Shep, the Shepherd Garden and Art Center in McKinley Park, and uh, check out the African Violet Society show and sale. It's free, going on today until 3 o'clock. Also going on today at the over at the um, Mary Stevens Library in Davis at 315 East 14th Street, the Yellow County Master Gardeners are having a question and answer forum going on, and they'll have two mini-sessions along with answering your questions. They have a one little session called It's Fall, Plant Now at 2.15, and then Dividing Perennials at 3.15. Yes, this is the time of year to be uh, digging up and uh, separating a lot of popular plants that uh, expand underground. One of my favorites is Alstroemeria, also known as Peruvian lily. And a lot of people tend to overbuy it, and it's an expensive plant. It's uh, for a you know, it usually comes in a maybe a one gallon or a five gallon container, but it's close to twenty bucks for what looks like one itty bitty plant. The fact of the matter is, it spreads easily underground and and can fill out an area in just a few years. So don't overbuy, Alstroemerias, also known as Peruvian Lily. And generally speaking, if you're trying to clear an area of it or at least separate it out, and for best bloom, it is it is best every few years to separate out Alstrom areas so that they stand about 12 to 18 inches apart. What do you do with all the rest? You give them to your friends, and this is the time of year to be digging them out. So uh, that's just one of the perennials that needs to be divided. You can find out a lot more information if you attend that session at the Mary Stevens Library at 315 East 14th Street in Davis going on today between 2 and 4 o'clock. Then next Saturday, the Yellow County Master Gardeners have a uh, little class on fall and winter vegetable gardening at the Woodland Community College in Building 400 at 2300 East Gibson Road. You'll learn about good cultivation practices and management of fall and winter vegetables, 9 to 10 a.m. next Saturday there at Woodland Community College. And because this is the time of the year when we have a lot of produce... Coming in the garden, you've got peppers and heaven's no squash and tomatoes. Well, the Master Food Preservers in various counties have a lot of uh, demonstrations and techniques to explain to you this month. The Master Food Preservers in Sacramento County have a class coming up on Wednesday at uh, 6.30 p.m. on Autumn Harvest Apples, pears, and more. Yeah, and you're still harvesting tomatoes and peppers, and all of a sudden you've got apples and and fruit to deal with. And they can tell you how to deal with that autumn harvest through various food saving techniques. 6:30 to 8:30 p.m. This coming Wednesday at the Cooperative Extension office here in Sacramento County at 4145 Branch Center Road. Down in Calaveras County, they have a dehydration class. The master gardeners, or the, rather the master food preservers of Calaveras County. Wednesday evening, 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. Dehydration is an easy and economical way to preserve large quantities of fresh produce in small containers, especially fruit. Talk about apples. You got a lot of apples. Slice them thin, put them in a dehydrator, and you've got snacks through the winter. The uh, dehydration class will be held at the Calaveras Senior Center in San Andreas at 956 Mountain Ranch Road. And again, that's Wednesday evening. 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. Cooperative Extension is offering a class in Spanish on developing your sustainable landscaping skills. It's a free class and field meeting, and it's in Spanish. And you'll learn how to uh, improve the soil, right plant in the right place, drip irrigation, and they'll have a hands-on training session in Howe Park as well. This is aimed at uh, Spanish-speaking landscapers, but uh, I, I... think anybody could probably go it's uh but call and find out 916-875-6527 it'll be at Howe park at 2201 cottage way in sacramento next saturday eight thirty until noon and uh, we heard uh, judy mcclure uh, talking about master gardener training over on the kfbk garden show this morning just to repeat on that, they are accepting applications from Sacramento County residents who want to become master gardeners. And you can find the applications online at ucanr.edu slash sacmg, S-A-C-M-G, ucanr.edu slash sacmg. And you can probably pick up an application, too, at their office at 4145 Branch Center Road in Sacramento. Training classes are held in Sacramento the uh, winter and spring january through may and i believe it'll be on wednesdays or thursdays i forget which day but it's extensive training and in return you are willing to volunteer your time to teach others in your community good gardening techniques and so again that master gardener training application available through the sacramento county cooperative extension office for sacramento county residents don't live in sacramento county i wouldn't be a bit surprised if the Master Gardener Group in your county is also teaching and training a new class of volunteers coming up in 2018, contact your local county Cooperative Extension office or Master Gardener Group to find out if they have any classes coming up in the spring and the winter, for that matter, too. Mostly the winter. All righty. Uh, KSDE Farm Hour is next. Yeah, I can hardly wait. I tell you. No, I enjoy the show. You know why I enjoy the show. There is a big problem in Napa-Sonoma, that heat wave we had over Labor Day weekend. Estimates of lost crops of premium wine grapes turning to raisins. The losses may be 10 to 50 percent. So we have details about that September heat wave that is threatening the premium wine crops here in Northern California. Also, we uh, talk about the amount of water that is really available for groundwater aquifers from winter rains. It's a lot more than was originally thought. And also, changing trends in home gardening have wholesale nursery growers trying to figure out what to grow, what will be in demand in three years out. We talk with one nurseryman who's scratching his head over that one. So, that's coming up on the KSTE Farm Hour, noon to one o'clock. And also available as a podcast, As Is Get Growing, available as a podcast from the iHeartRadio app or KSTE.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you, Brooks. Appreciate your support all these years. Have yourself the rest of a great weekend. We'll do it again next Sunday morning, 10 o'clock. Bye-bye.